We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And welcome back to the long overdue Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Tim and Clive comes back to talk about the North London derby, Granite Jacker's performance, who will replace Hector Bellerin, injuries and plenty more. Uh, so enjoy the podcast and back after Manchester United at Old Trafford. Yes. Last week's Tuesday recording interrupted by an event that in no way had any significance, in no way upset any people, and in no way has any ramifications for the rest of the world for years to come. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, we were going to record a podcast last week, um, and then like a thing happened, um, and it, it influenced our recording schedule and just our general focus on Arsenal, um, and our attitudes and our feelings about things. Uh, it was just an emotional time. Uh, but enough about the Westworld episode. Let's talk about Arsenal. Uh, here, as always, is Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And joining us once again in Paul's absence because Paul did not watch the match a second time, so he was not invited on. But Clive is here. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. You can listen to him on the Gunnar Ramble podcast. I strongly recommend it. In fact, I recommend you listen to that in lieu of this, but listen to this one so you can hear him on this one first. Clive is here. Hello, Clive. Hey, man. I'm good. How are you? The enthusiasm Clive brings to the show is why we have him back. It's the energy. It's the enthusiasm, <laughs> not the knowledge and insight. Okay. 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about the North London Derby because we didn't cover it, and there's plenty of stuff to discuss there. Then we will talk a little bit um, about the upcoming trip to Old Trafford. Dr. Twatchflottle from uh, the Arscast will be on to discuss the Alexis Sanchez situation. So we'll be looking forward to getting his expert opinion on Alexis's hamstring injury. Uh, All that and more coming up this hour uh, or two hours, you know. That's kind of how we roll. Anyway, let's get started with the North London Derby. And, Tim, um, I think that the overall sense at the final whistle was disappointment. But the Mm. disappointment for me was that we didn't take advantage of opportunities in the first half. We started a little slowly, but then we got on top of them. What was working for us in the first half that allowed us to create those opportunities to, to press our advantage? Well, it, it was quite clear to me that for the first 25 minutes at least, um, Tottenham shaped through us. And, and I thought Tottenham were actually, for very obvious reasons, Arsenal fans are not going to rush to give Tottenham a lot of credit at the best of times, especially after a North London derby. And, you know, as fans, we, we think about our own teams. But I, I actually thought the way Spurs set up was incredibly clever, um, you know, both in the way they interrupted our rhythm. So they left two up front. Um, in Kane and Son, which which affected the way that we built play. They had wing backs as well. So, you know, you're the centre-back, you take the ball off the goalkeeper, you've got two Tottenham strikers in your face, where do you want to go? You want to go to your full-back. Well, then Spurs had wing backs that were pressed right up on our full-backs. Um, and actually that helped Tottenham when they were building up play as well, because as we tried to press their three centre-halves, they had these two spare wing backs. So they, they basically made sure they had spare men all over the pitch and it was quite a clever setup. I think what changed was I observed, I think it was one of the six or seven occasions that Danny Rose went down and needed treatment. Um, on one of these many occasions, he went down and I saw just uh, just below me, kind of, you know, on the left wing in the first half, um, Nacho Monreal, Meza Ozil and Alexis having a conversation and Obviously, I'm not privy to what they actually said, but there was a lot of pointing over to what looked like towards the corner flag kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what happened after that was that was exactly the space we started to attack. And I think that basically they worked out that if there's going to be any space that Spurs are going to give you, it's going to be behind their wing back. So we might have to go over to the flanks a bit. And we did that for 10 or 15 minutes. And that's exactly how, you know, we got the Walcott chance where he hit the post um, it's where we won the free kick, of course, for the goal. Um, it's where we were able to create an angle for Iwobi um, by stretching the pitch a little bit. So we we kind of got on top tactically. We got to grips with what they were doing. Um, I just think after that, and you know, we we finished the first half really strongly, and um, you know, we we probably needed another goal out of that dominant period because we didn't really get another one in the game. I think Spurs figured out what we were doing a bit. And then, of course, once they equalised, um, you know, Spurs started quite high up the pitch. And I think there were quite a few offsides where there were Alexis or Ozil had just missed time runs. Um, and then in the second half, once Spurs got their equaliser, um, they didn't park the bus by any means, but they, they sat a lot deeper and it was much, much more difficult for us to find any space to work with. And they right. were... They were they you know they had their opportunities but they were slightly happier with the draw um, and you could tell that I'm not saying that to be derogatory the the way to tell a team's ambition is how quickly they take goal kicks um, and Spurs were not taking theirs quickly because they were happier with a point than we were but 
I think basically the upshot is that as much as it pains me to say it, they've got a very bright manager um, who reacts very well to in-game situations, who studies opponents very well, um, who position, who th- really thinks about the way he positions players on the pitch. And you can tell he's a disi- disciple of Marcelo Bielsa. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's basically it. We, we just we figured out something we could do for 15 minutes and that was the player's intuition um, that, that found that out but then Spurs scored quite quickly in the second half and then they were able to react to it and kind of sit in on their point a little bit um, and we just didn't really have any answers and then you know we tried to change things up with the substitutions which well, we'll I get wanted to that. us to do <laughs> we'll get yeah, to that because they did not they did not have the intended work. effect no um, no they didn't um, I, I mean I think Yes, we struggled out of the gate a little bit, and I think you're always going to struggle both because they had a formation that we don't see a lot, and their pressing style is intense and different, and you have to come to terms with it. And they're always going to be a team, I think, because of the style and because they made a a tactical change that are going to take you a, a minute to come to terms with. But I felt that once we got a grip on the game in the first half, we really looked like we could beat them and beat them comfortably because I thought that we really dominated them in midfield, we kind of sussed out, as you pointed out, Tim, where the where the weak points were in the in the three five two um, or three four three, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, and I I think that's probably more what it was anyway. But it, it it gave us a lot of options. I thought on the flanks and through midfield. The thing that really impressed me during that period, you know, we we went with Shaka and Coughlin, and we can get to Shaka in in a bit because I want to talk in particular about his defensive contribution in the second half and his performance because Tim and I. Uh, have some egg on our face. We we maybe um, overdid it a little on his performance against Ludogorets defensively, and and you know what? He proved us wrong. But um, Clive, how impressed were you with the midfield, and in particular Francis Coughlin, who is sort of a lightning rod player, but I thought in the first half was really exceptional, one of our best players. Yeah, I, I still think our midfield two. We we haven't quite seen the two to really you know to say that's the ones. But I thought both of them did quite well. I think, as Tim alluded to, I think Spurs shocked us a little bit about how they ran in behind us, how they made the pitch a bit bigger. And that caused us problems because once the pitch was big, I felt uh, it gave the midfield to a lot of ground to cover. I think they got better the more we sort of pushed up the field. I felt Son was a real major impact for them by running Mustafi back towards his goal. As soon as we had the confidence to step up, as soon as we worked out that the space was down the sides. And obviously, Tim's in the ground. I didn't go to the game this time. And it just seemed to be a point in the game and we worked them out. And obviously, if you're in the ground, you can see when that was. But, you know, if you think back to last season, there were times when teams were tactically adept and were smart against us. And I felt that we overcommitted, overpushed, and we'd go 1-0 down. I think a big improvement this year has been the fact that we're not going 1-0 down early in games. And you can say it took a while for us to get to grips with them, but we did and won them up. And that was you know, that was a positive compared to last season's Arsenal. The midfield too, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Coquelin. Obviously, we're going to go into the second half on the goal. He missed a trick on the goal. He should have took him out a lot earlier. Um, but Shaka maybe had the, you know, the game that says, I'm here now. I'm now confident. I'm now an Arsenal player. And um, I quite liked how they set up. I would like to see a little bit more of a, a midfield two left and right. 
I think our attack was very left-sided biased, where Shaka was successful. I didn't think we built play on the right-hand side enough. We didn't get Theo in enough behind Danny Rose, where we, we gave Walker a lot of trouble down the left side and stretched out Dyer on that side. But I think that's a real start for Shaka. I think, you know, he is starting to cement himself as one of the two. Cochrane, we know we're going to get from him in the derby. He's going to be front foot. He's going to be pressing. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to make big tackles. They're going to they're going to reverberate right up into the stands. But I want to see who that other person is yet, and I'm not sure who it is. And I'm I'm still not sure. Despite all the online debates we all we all have, I'm not sure who that other person is with Shaka. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we're probably going to learn by trial and error, which is a little scary because the error part is what you'd like to avoid. Um, but I, I think, Clive, the counterpoint to that would just be, isn't it refreshing to have options that seem to work where the step down in quality from you know option one isn't 80% or 90%? Like, you know, last season when, when Flamini had to come in, it really destroyed any momentum we had created at the beginning of the season, I don't think we're in a situation now where the options do that. I think Elneny, Shaka, Kazorla, Coughlin, they are all reliable options. And that doesn't even mention Ramsey, who, you know, we haven't really seen as a midfielder yet. So I think the bright, the bright side is that while we may not know what option one is, the other options aren't really two, three, and four. They're more like 1A, 1B, 1C. Um, exactly. And, and I mean, just mention just you mentioned Flamini's just you mentioned Flamini's name. Just put a shiver down my spine as it should. <laughs> and I, I just like, and we and we wore that for fifteen, sixteen games last year, you and then I'm still all expected to win something. Yeah, and, and I think honestly, like maybe he just felt he wasn't ready. But had El Nenny been in the squad sooner and used sooner next season, next season, last season, maybe things would have been a little different because we saw the lift that he gave us, but. It is what it is. Um, the past is in the past. Uh, so, Tim, I, I think we had the options, uh, the, the, the chances, actually, I should say. We did score the goal. I should say Spurs scored the goal, but they scored it for us. Um, but Wobi had a chance. Ozil had a chance on a volley. Ozil had a chance from the channel. Theo hit the post. I don't think you could call it a chance. It was just a tremendous effort. Um, the Wobi chance, I think, is the one that we're really going to regret and he's a player who has been very very valuable to us but we're seeing what happens when you rely on a player who is 20 years old you just get some inconsistencies in some parts of his game that are rough around the edges and the manager has referenced the fact that he needs to start to do better in front of goal that may be the position where Ramsey can ultimately step in and make a difference but you referenced the substitutes and you know, I thought we went into halftime looking like the side that was more likely to win. We came out of halftime a little lethargic, and then Coughlin came off for Ramsey, Walcott came off for Oxlade Chamberlain, and, and Iwobi came off for Giroud, all at or before 70 minutes, which is unusual for the manager. I think that was sort of his way of going for it, so to speak, and it didn't really work. Um, let's start with Oxlade Chamberlain. He's a player that obviously there's been some criticism of this season. Not a favorite of mine. I, I think I've been pretty open in admitting. Um, and while some of his end product has been better uh, against some lesser opposition, it has to be said, this was a really rough outing for him. What did you make yeah. of his appearance, and, and why do you think he struggled so badly? 
I don't know. It's really tough to put your finger on, really, because Arsenal went um, completely plan B, which is what they did against Sunderland, and it worked. You know, we have this kind of fairly established blueprint with this new kind of front three, and, and you know, things have been quite settled since about the beginning of September. Um, and, you know, we always said on this podcast that's not going to last the whole season. That's that's There's going to be some some kind of... Um, attrition there that players are going to get injured and suspended and and what we've got now as I think you've referenced is we've not really seen Ramsey this season Granite Jacker has hopefully just had his kind of his breakout performance um, and it, it really looked like that to me so you know we haven't for better or for worse we haven't really seen much of Giroud this season so you know we've got these kind of three players who are really just starting their seasons um, and, and it looks like the way Benga's kind of gently breaking them in is to make them this kind of plan B from the bench. And that worked really well against Sunderland. And and, and at the time, I thought that was a good idea. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, it didn't work at all. But that's exactly what I wanted us to do. I was, I was thinking before the game, you know, if after 65, 70 minutes, it's not working. Um, I looked at our bench, I looked at Tottenham's bench and on Tottenham's bench, I think Vincent Janssen was the only name I recognised. Um, I've, I've heard of Harry Winks, but I don't think I've ever seen him play. But if you go back and look at Tottenham's... Harry stuff, Winks sounds like a guy who stands outside a gentleman's club and makes everybody feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've got friends like that. But... Uh, <laughs> but I mean, they had seven subs and I think four of them I'd never heard of. And before the game, I thought to myself, if this is level with 20 minutes to go, the subs bench could make the difference. And when you bring on players like Ramsey and Giroud, it changes the dynamic of your team. But of course, that's not always an advantage. Sometimes that can be a disadvantage. Um, sometimes um, you just need to do plan A a little bit better. And I think in hindsight... Um, it's not what I felt at the time, but in hindsight, I felt after the game that that's probably what needed to happen. We just needed to do plan A a little bit better than we had been. Um, and I do think at the moment it's quite clear that the Champions League games, because this year, um, as opposed to last year, we've actually decided to take the first four Champions League group games seriously um, rather than just um, you know taking them off, as it were, like mm-hmm. we did last year. It's affected the next league game um, quite often. Um, That's been true, by the way, for all the Champions League sides. You're really seeing a hangover from it. And and we're also seeing, I mean, look, who are the the clubs that are really excelling this season? Liverpool and Chelsea, who have no European commitments. Precisely, precisely. And um, so, yeah, I I think it was, you know, I, I completely understand why the manager did that. And, you know, you bring on Chamberlain as well, and Chamberlain... We've spoken about this before. Has a decent partnership with Giroud. If you're playing Giroud up front, then in theory, at least Chamberlain's a, a more traditional type winger who can give you that delivery and that service. But he played um, five passes his entire 20 minutes on the pitch and made no uh, accurate crosses. Attempted a single cross. Yeah, yeah. His his confidence. I mean, there was. I think his first involvement was like the most stupid foul. Um, on the back post, completely unnecessary, completely when we had Tottenham under pressure. And, um, I, you know, I, I kind of yelled and I was like, what the fuck are you doing kind of thing? And then and then he gave away another foul at the other end. And um, I felt like shouting at, at him again, but I, I didn't because I immediately detected that body language and I thought, ah, 
his confidence has completely gone. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even when he, he had that, I don't even know if it was a cross or a shot, but whatever he was trying to do, he just rocketed the ball high into the north bank. And I thought, yeah, he's he's just completely gone. It reminded me a bit of, um, you know, maybe when a Bouet came on that time or even there was a game against Burnley some years ago when Nicholas Bentner missed about three sitters in a row. Oh, I remember that. And I, yep. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And on the final one, he just, I, I remember the ball came to him on the six yard line and I looked at him and I thought he's going to miss this. Like, you know, you know, you can just tell in that split second from someone's body language, and I, I immediately detected on that second foul. I thought, oh, he, he's just—it's completely gone, um, and perhaps he's just trying too hard and he's too frustrated. And, and he also attempted—he had no dribbles, which for him, you know, again, yeah. it's those kind of things you expect. I just. You know, it makes me wonder a little bit. I think the manager loaned out Joel Campbell and let Nabry go. I think with half an eye towards saying there's not going to be a lot of playing time at the forward positions, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is a guy that is ready to step up, and I'm going to find him that playing time. And his performances this season have have really struggled. He He hasn't taken the step forward. If anything, he's taken a big step back, and I think... You just have to wonder if maybe the gamble was wrong, if maybe a Joel Campbell or certainly on the evidence a Serge Nabry would have been more valuable. I mean, just really quickly, Tim, do you think in light of what we've seen from Oxlade Chamberlain, does it make you kind of regret that we didn't hold Nabry to his contract or keep Campbell in the squad? Not especially, no. I think I think the plan was definitely to keep Gnabry, and I think that once he got rid of Joel Campbell, it was because he expected to keep him. Um, I've, you know, I've said on this podcast repeatedly. I don't think our wide options are as strong as they should be, and that that's one place where we might come up a little bit short because effectively, we have to play a Wobi. I mean, who else can play on the left? Yeah, um, I, I mean, in Perez. theory, I guess Perez could if he existed, or Welbeck yeah. if he existed, or you know, in, indeed. But none, even none of them are natural, particularly. So, um, I, I'd, I'd love to have kept Gnabry. I'd, watched him since he was kind of 16 17 and and i really wanted him to stay joel campbell i'm honestly i'm not as fussed about um you know i probably would have rather had him than not but i i don't think massively miss him but you know we have seen good we have seen good things from chamberlain this season we've seen good performances it's just he's not consistently bad this year he's just inconsistent it's very up and down um, yeah, so, I, I just think I, I think overall what he's providing and when he's been good, it's by and large in moments where he he is individualistic, and I think that's harder to do against the best opposition and certainly against a pressing side. And I, I don't know, I I just don't see the progress there. Let, let's step back just for a second because I I do want to talk about Ramsey's role as a sub because we saw him in midfield sort of for the first time in a while. Um, but I, I want to address their goal just really quickly, Clive. I mean, yeah. I did praise Coughlin. I thought he was great in the first half. He kind of, I, I would say, went in kind of softly, certainly by his standards for the tackle in midfield before the penalty was given away. Um, where do you think the blame lies mostly for the penalty? And also, do you think it the it was a penalty? Well, I don't think it was a penalty, but you couldn't argue against it too too harshly. I think, uh, like most goals, right, there's four or five mistakes. So, um, Dembele gets the ball, and straight away, if you look at our team, we weren't high up the pitch. So, we were disconnected. So, 
He skips past Ozil. None of us too stressed there because we know Ozil's not going to do a Scott Parker slide tackle. So, um, I, so I he skips you mean past Scotty, him. Scotty Parker. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I got yeah. to get it in. Got to get it in there. Got to get it in. So he skips past Ozil. Ozil lets him go. And for some reason, although Cochrane was very you know, abrasive and he engages people so well, he just got he just got bullied off the ball. He got bullied in contact. He went in too low. Sorry, he went in too high. He should have gone in lower. If you go in high against Dembele, he's going to be stronger than you. So Dembele you know, manipulated him, pulled his shirt and drove. And then if you look at our back line, we were too deep. We were too deep. And there was a moment of hesitation that says we should have got out of our area because we've got to take him outside the area. So is Cochrane going to do it or is one of our central defenders going to do it? And we didn't do anything. We just stood and froze for a second. And he drives into the box and then he drives to, to his left. And he had no one to pass to. Harry Kane had made a run left to right. So there was no white shirts going to the left. And, then, and I felt he threw himself into Koscielny's waiting leg. And um, if you're looking at it technically as a referee, you're thinking, well, I can see contact initiated. I can blow this if I want to. If you're looking at it from a football perspective, there was no move going to continue there. There was no advantage going to happen. And you could have let it go. But I think we were silly to let him in the box. We should have took him out earlier. And it really affected the game. I think it affected our mentality. I think it also affected the flow of the game. I don't think... I wonder what Spurs would have done. They haven't scored a goal in open play for quite a while. And we never held them at 1-0 for long enough to really test their game plan. So we walked away with them thinking, yes, Pochettino was bright. Yes, he interrupted our flow. Yes, they had like 17 fouls in the game, which meant you know we couldn't get our flow going together and our passing and our fluency. But if we'd have held that lead for five or ten more minutes, I wonder what they would have done then. They may have overcommitted. And those substitutes that came on, they could have come on with far less pressure. And I felt the pressure really came down on them. And all three of them didn't really shine. And we didn't really get the momentum that we all expected, which was to basically win the game from the bench. Right? So, the game um, kind of petered out, actually, which you know it, is sort of surprising. It did. it did. And maybe, you know, we all want it so badly. But maybe both managers said, you know what, I'm not going to lose this game. You know, and although um, although our substitutions were quite aggressive, they weren't aggressive in their positioning. Ramsey played deep, Oxley Chamberlain played narrow, and we tried to hit Giroud's head, and he had one he had one header and went on target, and we all walk away one one, shake hands, go to the pub. You know, so um, sometimes that's how it goes. Sometimes better not to lose, trying to win. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I just think that when you bring on Aaron Ramsey in midfield for Francis Coughlin and you know, you bring on supposedly the energy and dribbling pace and crossing ability of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and you put your big, strong center forward in, you're expecting to be more direct, get more bodies in the box and take advantage of crosses and, and leverage those opportunities from the wide positions. And it didn't happen. And I think it didn't happen in part because Oxlade-Chamberlain had a nightmare and in part because Aaron Ramsey sort of failed to impose himself on the game. What did you, what yeah. did you make, Clive, of, of Ramsey's of Ramsey's introduction because it's really the first time we've seen him um, in midfield, truly in a midfield role uh, this season. I thought he tried to make it work. I thought he he did position himself to the right of, of Shaka and he really tried to stay deep. He's always going to take shots. I think he had three shots, right? So um, he's going to take shots and I can see the 
thought process of the manager to bring Ramsey on rather than, say, El Denny. Because you're more likely to get a goal. That's what we all historically think, although Ramsey's goal scoring has not been superb in the last year or so. So I, I can see what he was trying to do. And it, I don't know how it felt in the ground to him, but I, I looked at it and thought, OK, we're pressing this game. We're trying to be a bit more creative. I did think Cochrane, although he was quite robust and did those, those what I call derby day tackles, I thought he struggled a little bit on occasion in, in, the, in the game. And I wasn't surprised to see him come off. I don't think he was smart enough to build the play on the right-hand side, which meant we were quite lopsided. So Ramsey was, was a little bit smarter tactically, a bit more mature on the ball. And I thought we could build on that side because I, I felt we didn't really, we were very lopsided in our attack. I don't think that's a good enough sample size to see Ramsey yet. I, I do want to see it. I've got to eliminate it from my mind, but I, I know Tim sort of half agrees with me on this as well. I would like to see Ramsey play in the Iwobi role to see what he can do in that. Me if too. He can get that ball, if he can get that ball on his right foot, he's got the ego and the selfishness to take shots on goal and take crosses. And he's running off people's shoulders. He's exceptional. I think he's much better at that than controlling the game from the base of my midfield. Because I actually believe El Elneny, Santi, um, Shaka are much better at doing that than he is. But there's not many that run into the box like Ramsey does. And yeah. so... Um, I would like to see that tried out and just to eliminate it from my mind once and for all. But um, it could be that sort of breakout tactical move that well, could step right. us on level. And, and you know what, Clive? I mean, everybody who... The the Awobi position has become a very fluid position the way it's used. Um, yeah. But what you do is you create that cluster of Ozil, Ramsey, and Alexis then sort of just in that left half space right on the edge of the box where any of them can make those forward runs, any of them can play one-twos together, any of them can play through balls, and you basically take our three most gifted players in the attacking half and tell them to go find a solution. And I, I think that's what you want with a Ramsey because the thing we've seen from Aaron Ramsey is he is, um, he is going to try the extravagant. He is going to try uh, pieces of skill that, that maybe you don't want him trying at the halfway line, but on the edge of the box can unlock a defense. And for me, no matter how much Ramsey wants to be a central midfielder and has the, the engine for it, his willingness and, and desire to try the extravagant, his sometimes opting to try the extravagant over the simple, and his desire to get into the box are simply at odds with what we need from a central midfielder, especially since we just play a two in midfield. I don't think we can yeah. afford that. So I think we... we leverage all of his uh, exceptional attacking skills and reduce the risk and exposure to some of his his weaker qualities, right? Absolutely. If you look at his highlight reel, they're all in the last third, right? If you look at Santi Cazorla's highlight reel, they're all over the pitch and they're in tight spaces, they're facilitating. I just think we maybe got to look at him and say, okay, what does he do really, really well? And you got to admit, whether you like him or not, whether he fits your eye or not, the guy runs, and he runs, and he sees things very, very early. And I just think we can take the structure away from him and get him on his right foot. I think when he played on the right last you know, last year and periods, he did quite well, but he was a goal-scoring threat. From the left, I think he could be a real goal-scoring threat because the ball's arriving at him at a different angle where he can shape onto his right foot. And he has got power. He's got different finishes, different layers of passing. He can see the pitch from that side. It's something that's been in my mind for a long time now. I just want to see it to to eliminate it. And and there will be the 20-year-old kid that we're playing every single week 
playing in all the European games, even playing in the EFL games on, on occasion. I just think we've got to be careful with him and make sure we don't burn him out and, and use our big players for these big games we've got coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, you you don't want an unhappy Aaron Ramsey on your side. Player happiness shouldn't be your first decision, you know, your first reason for making a decision. But you don't want an unhappy Aaron Ramsey. I just don't think we can put him in central midfield in a two and expect that we're going to get the best out of him and also not expose ourselves to an extent that we really aren't able to because he's he's never going to be as effective, in my opinion, pressing and trying to win the ball as Coughlin, and he's not going to be as good in that sort of stitching things together, um, possession-oriented passing as as Shaka is. So let's get to Shaka, Tim. And, you know, mm. I, I think you can pen our mutual letter of apology to him right here. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I don't think we were wrong in how poor he was at the, in his defensive duties against Ludogorets and to some extent Sunderland, um, where he got the un- warranted unjustified red card was it Sunderland Did I just... Swansea Swansea thank you yeah it starts with an S same damn thing um so what did Shaka do so well in the second half that he didn't do uh previously and what what does it make you think now in terms of him has it changed your thoughts in terms of his role going forward um, yeah, it has, because now I've seen that, and now I've seen that he can do things like shepherd players, like get his body in the way, like position himself intelligently, which I hadn't seen before. I'd only seen his, um, admittedly, immense quality on the ball. Um, I just saw a whole load of things that I hadn't seen before. And uh, I was speaking to a friend of mine who watches a lot of Gladbach, who watches all of their games, who's also an Arsenal fan, and he, you know, he was... He was hugely excited about this signing. And um, I, I saw him tweeting before the Spurs game. He was saying, you know, Jacker hasn't done those things yet, but he can do them, rest assured. Um, he can do those things. And, I, you know, I don't know why it, it hadn't happened before, or at least that there wasn't even a hint that he could do that kind of thing before. Maybe he was just too eager to impress. Maybe, you know, he... He just didn't quite have that understanding with his teammates yet. But um, I'd like to think trust has got a lot to do with it. We know that Arsene Wenger is a manager that builds his, you know, builds his squad's confidence based on trust. And, you know, there was a lot though. You know, he made a lot of comments about Jacko and saying, you know, he was very frank saying, yes, I am concerned about the discipline side. And he was unusually frank about that, but he still gave him the start. And um, I, you know, I'm imagining that the conversation went something like, look, I'm trusting you today. Um, you know I have these concerns, but I know you're a fabulous player and I'm going to trust you not to do anything stupid and to rein it in. And not only did he rein it in, he actually put in, I thought, an excellent defensive performance in terms of interceptions, tackling, the way he positioned himself at the base of that midfield as well. Because, you know, Wanyama and Dembele, that's, that's a good midfield too that Spurs have got, certainly very combative, um, a mixture of kind of very aggressive, very aggressive runners, both with and without the ball. And, you know, they were in his face a lot. Um, and as we've already said, when you've got Mesut Ozil as part of your midfield three, um, Spurs knew that very well because they always had one of Dembele or Wanyama just running off of Ozil, basically. And Jacker dealt with that incredibly well. Um, and, and we got his passing um, as well. And I, 
I, I thought basically a lot's been said about us missing Kazola, which I've agreed with. But when people said it in the wake of the Spurs game, I didn't agree because I just thought that Jacka basically did the job that Kazola um, usually does, but probably even better, to be honest, in yeah. terms of the defensive output. So I don't agree that we missed Kazola against Spurs because I think Jacka did that and more. And now I've seen that, I want to see, you know, I want to see that every week. And mm-hmm. I really hope that's a kind of coming of age performance that that's convinced him that he doesn't need to kick people's legs away to be effective, that, you know, he can just shepherd people by standing in the right position. Um, it, it really, it jumped out at me as a kind of, as a coming of age. Here yeah. I am. This is my skill set performance. And I'm, I'm now, I mean, it's, it's, you know, obviously football fans are very fickle in their opinions and it's it's a complete turnaround to what I thought before that game. And usually I don't like to change my opinion so drastically, so quickly. But sometimes, you know, performance really grabs you and you think, yeah, this guy's here to stay now. That's that's it. That's that's the level, as it were. And I, I really felt that with, with Granite Jacker. And, I, you know, now I'm completely turned around on the subject. I, I agree with Clive. It's him and one other because if he can do that, he can do all the stuff off the ball that that very few our midfielders can, and he brings what he brings on it. Then, you know, that's what I want to see. That's what I think we paid thirty-five million pounds for, basically. Right. And look, there are players like Lee Cattermole and Charlie Adam who just kick people. That's just what they do, yeah. right? They're just violent players, or you know, or going two-footed, and that's why they get red cards. I don't think that's Shaka. I think, you know, as I watch him now, and I can't say this definitively because I don't know, but I think the reason he has had a lot of red cards is not because he's a violent player. It's because he'd he'd be a little bit lazy or undisciplined in his positioning. A man would get by him, and then his recovery move would just be to blatantly trip them up and tackle them. I mean, he, to his credit, when he gets beat, he doesn't let the guy get very far. He just kicks him to the ground. Um, And I think... If you stay in front of your man, then you don't have to pick up those kind of fouls and those kind of cards. So, you know, he showed that he could do that against Spurs. I think to some extent, it's a learning curve too, right? Because he has played pretty far up the pitch in a lot of games this season. And it's easier to get beaten by a step when you lose the ball, when the team loses the ball from the attacking third than it is from the midfield stripe, right? Um, When the game is coming towards you, when the game is coming at you from... 5, 10, 15 yards away, you have time to position yourself. When the ball is changing possession and coming at you from 5 yards away, it's easier for it to bypass you more quickly. So I think just playing a tiny bit deeper that second half, he was able to keep the game in front of him, which is what we need him to do. Um, So let's do this, Clive, unless you have any objections, Tim, unless you have any objections. How about we move off of this and get to sort of the issues of the day since that game is pretty much in a rearview mirror? I guess we can end on this just really quickly from each of you. Tim, um, final whistle, 1-1. Disappointment or sort of a shrug of the shoulders? Uh, Somewhere between the two. I was less disappointed than I think everyone else was just because I I was impressed with the way Spurs set up, but I was on the disappointed side of shrug of the shoulders. Got it. How about you, Clive? Shrug of the shoulders or or pretty disappointed? Yeah. Well, not to do a poll, but when I watched it again, I did see... uh, I did see... uh, (laughs) I did see... a, a proper game of football, right? And in those in those games of football, it won't always go your way, right? So you have to accept it. But 
we're not losing these games anymore. So I was quite, I was okay with it. I could sleep. Yeah. My takeaway is, look, uh, Spurs exert a lot of energy early in matches and it uses up a lot of energy coping with that. And I think if you can bring on impact substitutes with 20 minutes to go and they start to tire, you can win the game. And I think that's exactly what the manager did. He just didn't get the impact he probably anticipated. And that's why we didn't get... Uh, the win- the winning goal. We couldn't find the winning goal, but overall, I agree. Sort of a shrug of the shoulders. And you know what? The safe, warm embrace of fourth place, which, you know, that just feels feels comfortable. It's like climbing into a, a warm bed. Um, okay. All right. Let's move on to more fun issues like injuries. So, Clive, I'll, I'll start with you on Hector Bellerin. Um, it looks like we're going to be without him for a while. Uh, Debushi doesn't exist. Um, so... I would say the options are probably a newly back Carl Jenkinson, who at best we're not sure what his level is, and at worst he's a guy who hasn't played in a while and might be a level below what we really need. Another option might be Francis Coughlin there. Another option might be moving Nacho Monreal over there. Uh, if Mertesacker is healthy or if he feels like Gabriel or Holding is eligible to, to really be a regular in the team, he could move Mustafi over. He's played it right back. If you're the manager not just for Old Trafford, but for the foreseeable future of Bellerin being out, who would you, how how would you fill that role? I've got a theory on this, so I'm not sure if everyone's going to agree with me, but um, if you look at our options, Jenkinson, I, I agree. I think his level is questionable. Um, we uh, we all love him, but I'm, I'm just not sure what he, where he is because he's, he's, he's full of heart. But sometimes his positional plays is terrible. His recovery run angles are shocking. He gives too many fouls away. If the game goes behind him, he panics. And we got some big games coming up. So I'm not sure about that one. I never see Cochrane as a right back. He can do it, but I just don't see it. Um, my choice, Tabushi, I think he's, he's, he's dead to Arsenal. I think he'll be sold. And I wish he was sold in the summer. Um, so so my, my choice actually is Mustafi. I think he's played right back a lot in his career. Now, people are really going to say, well, why are we breaking up the, the, the central partnership? I watched Rob Holding this week play for the under-21s, and he looked like he needed that game. So the player that I would like to see come in, only for experience, for athleticism and speed, is Gabriel. I thought when we last saw him, he did very, very well, but so did Holding. And he gives me heart hard. palpitations, if I'm being yeah, honest. Yeah, and, and everyone's going to say he had a shocker at Old Trafford uh, last year. And, and I know what people are going to say, but I just think the games we've got coming up, I have just got his feeling for no, you know, for proper adults, right? We got, when you go to Old Trafford, when you've got these Man City and Everton, you're up in the Northwest, these are not games for um, for kids, in my opinion. And we went to Old Trafford last year and we just didn't show up didn't show up as a team as a club and I think it's really important we we do that this time and I just think the more experience we have in the team regardless of their profile and what their talents are but the most experience we have to manage the adversity during games I think is really important so that's what I would do but there are so many options but this is one position that I don't think we're strong in and Bellerin is by so we spoke about the midfield earlier and we can have a debate, and none of us would be too concerned which of the two out of four played, but or out of five really played. But really, with the right-back situation, we're debating it because the quality gap is so large between Bellerin and almost anybody else, but in Jengerson as well. 
And Jenkins had had a bit more time to get fitter and sharper, and he could come in and, and everything's fine. But I've got a concern there. So my gut says I'd move Mustafi and I would go strong. But um, I also recognize that not everyone agrees with me. I, I think it's a smart move. I think the problem you have when you lose Bellerin is he's such a two-way player, right? Um, he is devastating in attack and tremendous uh, in defense. And I think the the thing that you can't overrate too is how important his recovery pace is. Because, I mean, we do play a higher line and occasionally we're going to get beat behind it. And, and his recovery pace has bailed us out of some really tight spots this season. So you miss him at both ends. And I actually think Carl Jenkinson probably is our best option in terms of putting in crosses into the box. Not that that's really how we're playing now with Alexis up front. Um, he's arguably the best attacking option to some extent as a replacement, but you know, defensively, I, I, I agree. I just think there are concerns there and it's, it's probably, I think too much to expect him to come in and be at this level on a game in game out. Um, especially with a first match back as a starter in a big spot being at old Trafford, Tim, I'll just give you a real quick chance to answer this. Um, cause I also want to get to the Alexis situation um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him playing 90 minutes or not 90 minutes, 80, 82, 83 minutes last night. Um, how would you solve the Beck, uh, Hector Bellerin problem? For me, it would come down to whoever is in the best shape physically and mentally between Jenkinson and Debushi. Um, I think as little change as possible is, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be slightly apprehensive about changes, shifting the back line significantly and you, you can't you play can Debushi. do you really think Debushi is if, if really i hear, I hear he has an injury actually i hear he has a, a slight yeah injury. i mean that, I that's the thing that really if if he's physically and mentally okay I, I don't see why not he's a good right back um and i you know i i know everyone myself included is a bit pissed with him for you know the the way he kind of responded shall we say in inverted commas to the competition of Bellerin but he's he's a decent right back um and you know I don't think we should cut off our nose to spite our face there if he's if he's fit and ready to play um he's probably a better right back than Kyle Jenkinson is um, I think he's better than decent I think he's he can be excellent on his day I'm just saying at this point you know with so much seemingly animosity between player and club yeah can you expect a a proper effort and performance out of him that that's what it depends on. Um, if if the manager was confident that he could, I'd go with him. If not, then it comes down to how ready is Cole Jenkinson for a game like this. Even leaving aside some of the questions over his quality, I I rate Jenkinson slightly high. I I completely hear um, people who who have doubts. I rate him slightly higher um, than a lot of people just because I have seen him play very very well there was a stretch when Bakri Sanya broke his leg and he put about 12 games together and it got him in the England team and he was he was fantastic and it makes me think well there's obviously he's capable I'm not sure we've seen that level of form from him since but and he's been out a um, long time I mean it's just been it's been a tough time both in terms of his level and just injury and being out Precisely, precisely. So really, it would be down to the information the manager has about Debushi and Jenkinson uh, between those two. If, what, what about moving um, Monreal over since Gibbs has been playing a little more lately anyway? I I don't like that um, as much, particularly because Monreal's very left-footed. And I think, you know, if you start going into challenges with your wrong foot, 
that, that's a fairly dangerous thing to do. Um, I would, if neither Jenkinson or Debussy are in shape to play, then yes, I would move Mustafi across and bring in Gabriel. You'd bring in Gabriel over Holding? Yes. Yeah. I would do whatever has the the smallest possibility of bringing Gabriel into the side. I just I just don't trust the guy. Um, no one no one likes him. He gives he just gives me heart palpitations. Like he, 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 yeah, I do. Uh, anyway, okay, look, um, let's talk Alexis for a minute. And Tim, I'll stay with you just for a second. Um, he had a seven month hamstring injury that healed in time for him to play against Uruguay last night. He scored a couple of goals. The man is absolutely on fire. He is as good as any player in the Premier League right now, and I include players like Hazard and Cuneguero and, and De Bruyne in that. I think he is he is at the level now where he may have even passed Messit in terms of being the most important player for us, not just because of his skill and his quality, but his mentality. Um, it's going to be very hard to keep him off the pitch. As we know, the manager has a hard time yeah. putting his foot down with him. How worried are you about the injury? Do you think he'll play on Saturday? Uh, I think he might, yes. So I watched him play last night for Chile. And to be honest, it, it, he, he looked absolutely fine. Um, he was, his thigh was strapped. Um, that strapping he saw in the emotion training pictures, he wore exactly that strapping on his thigh. And when he went off, he had an ice pack on on the bench. Um, but his performance was was absolutely fine, and and the two goals in particular, um, I think the first the first one of the two was just typical Alexis, wonderful piece of improvisation. Bit the of a keeper howler, me, also maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the second one's the one that that gives me hope, and he did this a few times. We saw his you know his burst with the ball, and he didn't seem inhibited from doing that. And with his second goal, you know he really got away from two defenders and held them off, and he had. The goalkeeper rushing at his feet, and it, none of it, none of it seemed to impede him or even bother him mentally. So he looked absolutely fine. He he plays slightly differently for Chile, so uh, they they shifted him around a bit over the years. But now he plays on the left of a four-three-three, um, and actually he doesn't do quite as much running back um, when he plays that position for Chile as he does for Arsenal, which which is deliberate. They keep him very high up the pitch because they like him playing off of the striker, uh, Eduardo Vargas. So, he, you know, he wasn't... He, he was playing probably a little bit more like he would play if he was a striker. Um, you know, if he was playing up front in terms of all the running he was doing was in the attacking third of the pitch, pressing opponents, but he wasn't really asked to go and track back. So he wasn't kind of sprinting up and down the line, but once he had the ball, he came alive. Um, the, the question is, of course... How many injections were involved? Um, how does he feel now? You know, was he carrying a little bit? It didn't look like he was really carrying pain, but, you know, maybe that was just because he'd had, you know, a load of injections or something. And w would that be needed to get him through the game on Saturday? And, you know, well, it's, it could it's tighten really up over a very point. long flight and it's an early game on Saturday. Indeed. I mean, the recovery time isn't what you'd want it to be. Indeed, indeed. Um, it, it really depends because if there's any chance of him, you know, tearing it and being out for two or three months, then let's not do it, um, frankly. But at the same time, there's a part of me that thinks I'd have him for this game and then, you know, give him three games off or so, you know. I'd, I wouldn't worry about him playing against PSG as much or Bournemouth or he won't play in the EFL Cup against Southampton anyway. So, but... 
but you know maybe the injury probably doesn't work that way you know it's probably not something that you can just you can give him a game and then rest it it, it might be either rest him now or be damned so it, it really really depends if he's able to put in the sort of performance he put in last night then I'd, I'd be very very tempted to play him yeah and I mean and, it, and if he needs an injection and it's not a huge risk of him you know just tearing it he's just got a bit of pain and he just needs an injection to get through it I'd, I'd be up for that and then I'd give him a week off and it's not such a bad thing to, to play him an hour and then have 30 minutes of Giroud as a plan B, yeah. throw a little something different at United. I mean, I mean, I think you have to have that mobility from the start. Um, I think it helps that, to me, you know, I, I, look, I look at it this way. It's, it's a game where if we can get him through that, the bright side of it is that we can have the funeral on Sunday and move on quickly. You know, we don't have to have that hanging over us leading into the Champions League. Um, because, you know, the mourning period, you want to have as much of a mourning period as possible. Um, Clive, uh, Alexis dying on the Old Trafford pitch aside, what do you anticipate from Saturday? It's one of those games where we're not sure what team or either team is going to show up, right? So we've we got a little bit of baggage left over from the Spurs game. And with this Alexis thing hanging over us, I mean, Alexis and us all closer together has been the transformative move for Arsenal. So if though he's not on the pitch, I think he's, you know, our most effective offensive player. So our game completely changes. So we're not sure what we're going to get. Uh, Manchester United got about six or seven injuries. They've got no defenders. They've got too many left-backs. They've got Rooney, who's just uh, having a bit of an alcohol detox because he's been out on the drink post-Scotland game. And so we're not sure where he's going to play. Uh, if, are they going to play Rashford up top? Ibrahimovic is sure suspended, what, correct? Ibrahimovic is yeah. suspended. And I'm not sure that's a good thing because Rashford is like lightning and he could run us in behind like I Sunday. I agree with that, but let me just say this. You look at a player we can't we can't live with like Andy Carroll. I, I'm not saying Ibrahimovic is Andy Carroll, but yeah, he kind of is. Point. Like we've been very very vulnerable to headers in the area to to big physical aerial presence. Mustafi struggles with it. I think this is the rare example where Ibrahimovic being out might we might be the team that benefits from that. Yeah, I have to go hey there, and I sort of agree with you there. But I really rate Rashford. If there's one player I could steal from another club, he would be the one. I think he would suit us perfectly. Or Martial, who's also probably yeah. in line for a start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, we're not sure what we're going to get. But Mourinho will look at this game and think, this is a shortcut to success. This is a shortcut to, I'm not dead, I'm back. Wenger still can't do me, even though I'm in a new club. He still can't get one over me. I think it's a massive game. I think it's even bigger than the Spurs game. I just think it's really important that we, one, don't lose. But if we were to win... I think it'd be a significant mindset change for us as a club in the league game. We haven't won there, I think, since 2006, since we all liked Adi Bayor. That's a long time ago, right? So um, it's time to, to, to shake that off. And I just feel this is the moment. And if we don't do it, we're gonna it's going to have a ramifications to Man City, to Everton away, and well into December. I, I'm not sure I would play Alexis. I just don't think... I want to see him go again like he did last season. But I think he's even more important to us than this season than last. I think he's found his new role. His role is pivotal to how we play. 
And I just think if we were to lose him for six weeks again, I think it could be terminal this time. So um, I'm hoping he doesn't play, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, see, the problem for me is I want to beat Mourinho and I want to beat United, and it's sort of the 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 problem of me of not being able to think long-term and not being able to delay my satisfaction. I feel like I, I want this more than I want anything, so I, I'd be willing to throw Alexis into the firing line. I also think it's an important match just because you know, as as much as we consider ourselves title contenders, there's also chasing a chasing pack for top four. And I'm not trying to be doomy and all that, but I, I think there are points at which seasons pivot. And we don't want to fall away from that Liverpool City, Chelsea pack at the top and suddenly be in a scrum for fourth place. I think we want to be right there in the scrum for the title. And I realize there's a lot of season left and things will change a lot. And just look at what happened to us last season. But this is a pivot point, especially given that we didn't take all three points against Spurs. Um, Tim, your quick thoughts on what you expect from the from the match? I think um, it's really, really interesting because there's so much uncertainty in both teams. Um, neither manager, a neither manager, has any time with their players ahead of this, which could play into our hands because you know Mourinho is so good at preparing teams to stop Arsenal. But what, what's he expecting? He doesn't know. No, none of us know whether it's Alexis or Giroud up front. Who's in central midfield? Nobody really knows. Is it Ramsey out wide or is well, it What Iwobi? is Santi Cazorla's situation, it's, by the way? Do you know? He's, he's not playing. Okay. Um, he's, yeah, it, it looks like that one might rumble on a little bit. But, you know, so there's, there's all these questions. And actually that, that could, that surprise factor could go for us in terms of, you know, stopping Mourinho from, from formulating this, this plan to stop us. And similarly, they've got so many injury doubts, we don't know how they're going to play. Um, so, you know, it's, it's got the potential to be, um, to be quite maybe a, maybe a slightly open, more open game than we expect. But, I mean, in, for our purposes, um, there's a real economies of scale effect here. I think we really, really need to, at the very least, draw and play well. Um, at the very least, but I, I think we need to beat them. And I think you look at Mourinho in one corner, and his his sense of invincibility is fading by the week, um, fading by the month, and people see it now. And pretty much the last little cloak of invincibility he has is this record over Wenger. And you know, if if Wenger can beat him on this occasion, I, I think it will be so damaging for him. Um, personally, it will almost be like the terminal blow. Um, and for us, in terms of our, our, our title, I, usually, you know, I, I reject these kind of, oh, it's a mental block or whatever. I, I usually don't like those kind of intangibles. But I think it's pretty obvious we do have a mental block at Old Trafford. Um, you know, we, we seemed, I think in two seasons ago, you know, we beat them there in the cup. We drew with them in the league and, and were the better side. And so there's, there were signs of improvement. But, but what we saw last season was just so dispiriting. Um, and it felt like a real kind of back to the drawing board kind of kind of result. Um, so I, I think it's really, really important we beat them. And, and we can beat them. We should beat them. They are no great shakes at the moment. They are, you know, they're in disarray in terms of their shape and what they're doing and the understandings and the partnerships in their team. They've got, they've got good players, but they haven't got a good team at the moment. Um, so I, I do think Mourinho will try and go and do his usual thing that he always does against Arsenal. But, you know, this, this is a great chance um, for us. And it's so tight up there at the moment that I think if we beat them, 
United are nine points behind us um, and I think that would finish them in terms of finishing above us and maybe even finishing in the top four. So um, it's it's a huge game, but it's it's really on a knife edge because nobody knows what to expect. Nobody, you know, predicting the two starting lineups at this point is is a really really difficult task, and that could make it a very interesting game. Yeah, I think the one benefit here where psychology does matter and pressure does matter is that Mourinho probably has a lot of pressure on him to play the football. You know, to yes. to take the game to us. Uh, that's what Old Trafford expects from their football anyway. Um, not doing that is what cost Moyes and and Van Gaal their job, arguably as much as the results themselves. Um, I think Mourinho will feel some pressure to do that, um, and I think because his ego has been dented and his his he doesn't have the capital he once had to be able to say, "Hey, I pick the kind of football we play because it gets results." He hasn't gotten the results, so now he's going to be under pressure. I think to bring the game to Arsenal a little bit. And that definitely plays into our hands because if there's one thing Mourinho has been devastatingly effective at doing to us, it's sitting back, letting us come onto his sides, and then hitting us on the counter and really exposing us. I don't know that he can afford to do that. And I think if we can get Alexis, if he starts, and Theo and Ozil into space attacking a really suspect back line, I think there's a really good chance for us. Um, It'll be interesting to see how we set up if Giroud plays because then I, I think that really nullifies that opportunity. Obviously, I'm not, that's not just my statement on Giroud. I just think that you want to get their, their back line in space and, and run at them and, and give them those kind of problems. So it'd be very interesting to see. A lot of questions for us in terms of who we start. Um, I think this could go obviously any number of ways. History would tell you that it probably will go their way, not ours. But if ever there was a chance, um, you'd think this would be as good as, as any. I, having said that, there should have been chances against Van Gaal and against Moyes, and, and we didn't take advantage of those. So hopefully this is where it all turns around. I think it can be a very big moment in the season, um, and it, it comes right before a very busy period where as much as momentum may not be a thing, you know, I know a lot, a lot of people think momentum is just a cliche and it doesn't exist, but I, I do think players are human beings and confidence does matter. And winning at Old Trafford and putting a nail in Mourinho's coffin and starting a very busy period where international football has gone for ages with a win here would be massive for the side. So fingers crossed that we can get it done uh, or at the very least Mourinho uh, falls into a sinkhole. So let's leave it there. Um, we'll come back after the Old Trafford game. I want to thank Clive for coming on uh, in lieu of Paul and watching twice to play the Paul role. Clive can be found on Twitter at Clive PAFC, and he can be heard on the Gunnar Ramble podcast. Strongly recommend it. Uh, Clive, as always, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, mate. Thanks. Yep, the pleasure was yours. Uh, and uh, Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. You can read him all over the place, uh, especially on uh, Ars Blog in particular. Had a great column this past week. If you didn't read it, shame on you. Uh, Tim, enjoy your trip to Old Trafford, and we'll talk to you after the match. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks very much. You bet. Uh, Clive, I probably should ask you, are you, you heading to the match or are you going to be watching from home? There is a ticket floating around. Uh, I might claim it, so let's see what happens. Fingers crossed that uh, that you go instead of, who is it? Is it FK? Who Who is the one who has the terrible record at Old Trafford that we're trying to ban from going to the match? I think it's that's Faisal, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so hopefully you can't make it. Uh, anyway, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Don't forget to give us five stars and then write nasty crap about us in the comment section. Uh, we'll be back after the United match. So hopefully we are celebrating the, dem- the demise, the fall of Jose Mourinho. Until then, cheers, and we'll talk to you soon. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.